This is the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast for All Hallows' Eve 2018. Welcome to the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast. Happy Halloween. My name is Drew Messenger Michaels, and as always, I'm glad you're here. Uh, You may notice this is a different day of the week than we usually show up in your feed. That's because it's Halloween, and this conversation, which I had a while ago with the Almost a Game folks, Bobby and Brenda both, uh, was just too Halloween-y not to release on Halloween. So I'm going to say Halloween a couple more times, Halloween, Halloween, and then play you this conversation about uh, Almost a Game's game, Wicked Apples which uh, I enjoy and is definitely uh, the reason for the season or or responds to the reason for the season. For those of you who are sad that Halloween times are ending, as they traditionally do at this time, uh, this game's a decent way to keep the spirit going. It's also just generally autumnal. Anyway, here's the interview. Enjoy it. Walking down the road all alone last night The moon was shining and the stars were bright The world seemed so peaceful as still as a mouse Till I got to the neighborhood of Haunted House uh, I don't know, there's two of us. I'd have to, like, put you down. How does that sound? Uh, um, I think that's pretty good. If, yeah, like, try both talking at once. Let's see if it becomes a chaos. Chaos theory. Testing, testing, testing. And I'm yeah. going to interrupt all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I will look forward to it. Um yeah, I mean as long as you're both um about the same distance from the mic, it should be just fine. Hold on, let us get a ruler. <laughs> okay, cool. Yes, please. You just move yourself closer. So I can move back. Oh, oh man, a hierarchy is already emerging. I can I can tell. Seriously. Or my laziness, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> Those two things together are a killer, yeah. Well, hi, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Would you mind both introducing yourselves in that in that podcasty way so that everybody knows who you are and what you're doing here? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm Bobby Fowler, um, and I am a designer something of almost a game. Designer something of almost a game. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Everyone listen to this podcast right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm Brendan Wesser, and I am the product and marketing maven at Almost a Game. All right, and we are here to talk about your game that I had the uh, the great uh, privilege and, and an enjoyable time to try uh, at uh, Play NYC, uh, Wicked Apples. So I'm going to start with the super boring question, and hopefully that'll branch out to more interesting ones. What is Wicked Apples? Uh, so Wicked Apples is a two to five player game that takes ten to fifteen minutes, and it's kind of like a a little bit of a memory game, a little bit of screw your neighbor, and um, and just kind of uh, a quick uh, kind of fun game for strategic chaos. Strategic chaos, yeah. Strategic chaos. It, I would definitely say it's strategic chaos. It's a game where, uh, and yeah, there, there are other games like this, but this one, you know, made it, uh, I think, maybe more fun than most. But it's, it's one of those games where sometimes nobody wins. Pretty frequently, everybody dies. Uh, you get to some kind of like not even really stalemate, but just like a a no win situation, a mutually assured destruction scenario of some kind. And uh, sometimes you know that no one's going to win, perhaps before someone else knows it, and that can itself be kind of fun. Uh, but it, it I don't know. To me, it makes survival that much sweeter that uh that that things can go wrong very badly for everybody at the table. Yeah, it, definitely. Yeah, it's a screw. Like there are a lot of screw your neighbor games, but I'm I'm also a big fan of. It's weird to say screw yourself games, but that's what they are, right? Like it's, it's you know you can reach too far as far as trying to screw your neighbor and end up with just just a you know just bloodbath, bloodbath. And those are and those are some of the most fun games to watch people play. Um, there was a a great game at Play NYC that I was running the table for, and it was the dad playing with his kids, and he just and the father just got really cocky. And the kids just all took him down. He kind of he screwed himself over um, by saying like, "How could you not know? I've got this game figured out." And then the kids were vicious, and they they just went right after him, and he was the next person out. 
Yeah, it's a really good game uh, for for Pride coming before the fall in that way because there's some cool kind of like weird combinatorial ways to use the cards. So some of some of the cards like freeze other cards, make them so that you can't turn them over or you have to play them at certain times. So you can end up with these cards that have like two and three other cards stacked on them that are altering their behavior, which if you know what that is, that can be a huge advantage, but you can also kind of outsmart yourself and think you know what it is, but not be sure. It's 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 neat in that sense. Yeah, definitely knowledge is power. Like true knowledge is power, but not, not when you think, you know, and you, you're completely wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it, it does sort of feel like, um, playing with like a, a kit of, of magical potions that you, you have just acquired, right? Like I've, I've not played the game enough yet to feel like I have mastery. I kind of enjoy the chaos of it. I feel like it's, it's built that way, but I'm sure like, I would guess that you two have been involved in and or seen games where, where everyone kind of knows the deck pretty damn well. And I'd imagine that becomes a whole other level of, of Machiavellian motherfuckery. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Playing, Watching people play their first game, and usually after the first game, they understand how to play, but not quite the strategy. Watching people, especially uh, at our booth at NYC, we had uh, people that came back and played like, you know, five to ten games. Like, watching people after they've played just five games, it's a completely different game. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate that, right? Like, like it's you know, like the the cliche of like easy to learn, hard to master, or whatever. Like that's that's nice, but but even nicer is when you're sort of playing a different game. Once you know, depending on who you're playing with, uh, and then and then like you were saying that thing with like the dad and the kids, that element of you know, almost with a fighting game, like you can be a very very good fighting game player, and then as soon as someone starts mashing bushes buttons on you, you're like, oh my god, I have no idea how to deal with this. The idea <laughs> of throwing a beginner in there and causing a whole other kind of chaos is, I think, kind of intrinsic to the game, and it's uh, it's neat. Yeah, definitely having people that know how to play and then putting somebody who you they should play this way there's they should do this there's no reason why they wouldn't do this and then they just don't do that they do something that's destructive to everyone at the table for no reason why are you looking at me bobby i feel like you're staring right at me i i've watched you i've watched you play so as i don't have the visual uh i I will just imagine the the daggers being shot across the table at this moment no, when I when I tell tables that I didn't that I didn't read the cards for I don't know maybe fifty games, even when Bobby, my best friend, asked me to play test the game, it's not a lie. I really didn't read the cards. <laughs> well, I you know so again that's that's something that kind of drew me to it because like if I'm a hundred percent honest and this does not make me sound smart, so perhaps I should not be broadcasting it on the internet. But what keeps me away from a lot of tabletop games is the degree to which you have to sit down and, you know, like take a class at the learning annex before you can play your first game sometimes. Right. Because like with digital games, there's an intrinsic ability for the game to tell you that you can't do something. It just, you, you, you attempt to do something and nothing happens or, or you die or whatever. Uh, you have to sort of be aware of why what you did was wrong was wrong, either by reading the rules or or uh, or having a more experienced player explain it to you with tabletop games. This game, however, seems to make some really interesting design choices that make it relatively friendly to just sort of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks, you know, which makes it beginner friendly and also allows a beginner to frustrate uh, the uh, the more experienced players in, in fun ways. Yeah, and that's actually um, something we kind of strive for in the games we're making, too, like really simple easy to learn but like uh, a lot of strategies from from seeing how things turn out from from watching the different combinations from strategizing but there should only be like you know just a few rules like it's you speak or you pass and that's it yes you peak or you pass and you know there are as many uh, uh wicked death apples as there are players initially is that always true there's always it's one to one yeah yeah and all the other apples do stuff that either delays or reshuffles the deck or uh, or moves, you know, various various things. Maybe the wicked apples, maybe nothing else around. So one person could end up with with all four or five, however many people you're playing with. Uh, or it could, you know, it could sort of stay even. One person could more or less be in the clear. And it's also possible for someone to completely run out of cards and essentially just, well, not completely run out of cards, but more or less. Well, yeah, actually, it, someone can be in the game if they have none, right? They're just sort of hanging out at that point if they haven't actually died yet. Yeah, yeah. So that that's interesting too. That's a, a uniquely, you know, I to have everyone else kind of pa- throwing these bombs back and forth in the room, and you're just sort of sitting there eating dinner, is a really odd feeling, uh, and strangely tense. Well, it's actually kind of fun too because the idea that, you know, one of the things that you know when Bobby and I talked about this is he was really looking for. Well, no one. It's not fun if you're kicked out of a game, mm-hmm. right? A lot of times, you know, you end up playing, and depending upon how long the game is. You know, if you're kicked out in the earlier rounds, 
then those people are now disconnected from like the conversation, the game, kind of the whole entire experience. So having somebody still be in the game, but just waiting for other people to make a mistake is another way to kind of keep the whole table engaged. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's a really good point. Like it isn't, it is, there isn't like some explicit ghost mechanic or something like that, right? Uh, nor is it just relying on it being entertaining to watch your friends possibly, you know, poison each other, which is always, which is also fun. But it's like if you mill your deck, but you're still in the game, you genuinely are still in the game, but you're you're a bit more powerless, which is uh, is appropriate, I think, to the, the sort of the theme, the theming of the thing. Yeah, and it actually took us a while to to figure that part out. Um, when we were originally building the game, the uh, the idea was that you'd play it in rounds and each round one person would be eliminated and you keep going with the rest of the people who weren't eliminated. Mm. And that was, that was okay. And there's a lot of games that do that, but it was, there's people that were being left out. And even though it's a short game, it was still too long. The fact that there's only one round, like there's one game and that's it. And that people are generally in it for most of it was what really like tied it together at the end. Yeah, it makes it feel less like individual people facing off and more like everybody, you know, playing some whimsical version of Russian roulette. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, where, yeah. yeah, 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 it's it's neat. So let me ask another stupid question then. Why apples? Um, so the uh, the theming behind it was, I was kind of going for uh, something like, if all the Grimm's Fairy Tales uh, characters, like all the, the bad ones, had a bar that they went to drink at and like whatever this would be the card game that they played and like so it. a lot of the the theming and the idea for the the wicked apple but like a lot of the other apples um come from this idea of, of like a grim's fairy tale like a a dark but not too dark kind of what are you talking fairy tale about setting. green grim's fairy tales are super dark well i know like the real, real dark ones. Yeah, I love them. <laughs> well, they're they're darker than this game is. This game, I think, has a lighter yeah. touch than you know, like <laughs> if you wander too far away from home, you'll be baked and eaten, kind of stuff, like in those old fairy tales. But but you can die. There's death in the game. It's handled. I mean, yeah. it, it's not it's not gory, right? None of the none of the theming or imagery or anything like that is like is like yeah. explicitly macabre in that way. But it is, you know, I mean, like you're you're playing a magical you know death game. <laughs> so it's it's certainly not uh, you know it's not without its darkness by any stretch. Yeah. No, I've, I think I've pushed it about as far as I want to go with the like the darkness. Yeah, yeah I think probably like it strikes the, a good balance. I think. The scariest kind of darkest card might be zombie, right? With the weird teeth and the like <laughs> my teeth. Those are my teeth. Oh wait, love love the, <laughs> the anatomical heart. I love that one. And the brain. Oh, and the brain. Yeah. That's true. So yeah, they're yeah yeah they're mi minor body horror to see an apple with teeth. I yeah. suppose yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you're, I mean, like what makes them different from, from proper, you know, Grimm's fairy tales or something like that is, is one, they, you know, they, it does have a lighter touch and two, it, it, it feels definitely like something that the, the villains or the, the ne'er-do-well characters would play because there's no kind of moralizing in it, right? Like it's, it is, it is a world and a worldview that is chaotic where, yes. uh, you know, where, <laughs> where life is cheap and apples are powerful, you know, uh, that's <laughs> part of what feels chaotic about it. You know, it's cause like fairy tales, I feel like a lot of the stuff we do with fairy tales in a modern setting have to do with that sort of push pull of how they occupy a very uh, grim, you know, no pun, but ultimately very orderly universe. You know what I mean? So like we that's satisfying, but it's like it's fun to play with both to make it perhaps a bit less bleak, but also perhaps a bit more chaotic. Yeah, I I think the other like influence that kind of comes through and maybe makes it a little bit lighter is um, uh, the Princess Bride was something I was also thinking about this where. You know, it was the poison and the goblet in front of me, or yeah, yeah, in front yeah. Of yeah. And so this is kind of like a a four player version of that, I guess you'd say. That's totally not a connection I'd made either. But yeah, exactly. It's that 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 thing about outsmarting yourself, right? Which or yep, or there being exactly. some factor you couldn't have you, you you could have considered, but you didn't. Yeah. Yep. That's neat. That's neat. So, tell me about like what the what is what is your dynamic at a show, right? Like I saw it a little bit, but. You know, you're, you're both here on the call. Like, how do you two, like, play it differently? I mean, it sounds like you do. Do you do you talk about it differently? Uh, do you pretty much always promote this thing together? Do you divide and conquer? Like, what is what does the team look like? Uh, generally, it shows you we run two tables, and so we each run a table of games. Um, and I think we probably each have our own unique way of talking about it. Like, I, I definitely have, like, a pitch that I use. I know what I want to say and how I want to say it. Um, but I think, I don't know. I've listened to Brenda a few times and I, I like, 
she does it differently, but I think people also like gravitate towards it. Like, I don't, I can't honestly tell if people like the way I pitch it better or the way she pitches it better, but everyone seems to have fun no matter who they go to. So I was at a, yeah, I was at a bread table. I had fun. Didn't mean to cut you off though. <laughs> Um, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, no, I, we definitely pitch it differently in some ways. Um, I think that comes with, with the territory of the fact that this is the, our first published game. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of Bobby went into this game, all of Bobby really, just me mocking the playtesting process. Um, <laughs> and so we definitely talk about it differently, but I think that's just part of our personalities. Um, he's more introverted. I'm more extroverted. Um, we have good times in different ways. <laughs> so we run our tables in different ways, but they're both, but folks have fun at both of them. Um, and it's actually really fun to watch like, Bobby run a, a table that's having a really good time. Um, cause it's just, I don't know. I, I get like puffed up proud and I send pictures to his girlfriend about like, look, look how cool this is. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just fun. Just different, but fun. Yeah. Oh, but I will say I do have a couple of cards where I warn people that there are the designer rules that the <laughs> game designer came up with, or you can create your house rule that maybe Brenda plays with. <laughs> By house rules, you mean you mean Brenda rules potentially. <laughs> Brenda rules, yeah. You may have you may have played with the Brenda rules. I may very well. Yeah, I mean I've I've played a little bit at home, and you know, and anything I didn't remember from Play NYC, I've just kind of you know we've learned on the go. Uh, so I've probably played some weird modded, you know, conglomeration combination version. It's been and, fun though. Tell people too, like if you want a house rule, like this is a good game for house ruling. If you feel like this makes sense, like a card makes sense to you this way, like go for it. Like the point is to have fun, not to definitely not to like, oh, this is the rule that has to be this way or whatever. You yeah. haven't gotten to tournament rules or anything so far, yeah? No, 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 no. Um, but we do, we did have, we have had a couple of people say things like, hey, I want to put like two decks together and do like a 10 player game or you know different things like that so we encourage people to take it and and have fun with it the notion of of customization slash like light deck building is actually somewhat built in right because you, you had that expansion where the idea is not strictly to expand but to replace certain cards and you can sort of replace all of the potential cards or just some of them right so it's like that i found that to be really neat that you you can mess with the rule set slightly in that way albeit in a somewhat chaotic fashion yep uh yeah and i think something we're looking to expand a little bit um going to uh pack some plug this year um i have another we are yeah, yeah we might be going to pack some plug this year shut it <laughs> um, i can take that out if you end up not going if you don't want to get a million twitter things but no, I would love to get a million players. <laughs> All right, fair yeah. enough. Good problem to have. Come find us at almost a game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I've I've actually I have a few like different expansion sets that I've been like rolling around in my mind. And I, I like the idea of just, you know, having a a mix of cards to like put in there and really like, you know, either mix up the game so it's a little bit different like each time you play it, or if there's cards that you don't like and you want to have something else you can swap them out with. Like I like the idea of people playing exactly the game that they want to play yeah it's a good mix of those two things like there's there's our arthurial intent for lack of a better term right in terms of the tone and exactly how dark it is and exactly how chaotic it is and what kinds of play it rewards but it is very open-ended in that sense you know and it is like you two were sort of talking about the way you run tables it very much uh rewards just kind of like sloppy for lack of a better term play which is which is how i tend <laughs> to play things if left to my own devices and also well, three kinds of play, really. That, and then someone who gets really, really super into the rules, you know, sort of playing like a designer. And then also playing poker, right? Like, mostly playing your opponents as opposed to the cards. We definitely had one guy at our table at Play NYC who was, like, he, he was making the poker face, and he was, like, trying to read us. And it was, you know, I was I was an agent of chaos, so I was unreadable. But, you know, it's <laughs> it rewards that, too. You know, it's a, it's a pretty damn good bluffing game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we, we had a table. Um, there were these three boys that came around probably like five times and and they picked it up real quick but they were also they they were playing it like a poker game they were playing super serious like you could bring somebody else in with them and they were super friendly to everyone or whatever but they were playing for blood every time <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. it was it was great to watch them though well some i mean some people play everything like that you know i've i've had I've, you know i've had a, a game or two of high stakes mario kart in my life i, I get it i get it <laughs> whoa, whoa. i mean not very what high stakes 
Yeah. Well, just money, right? Like actually playing Mario Kart for, for you know, like not not a life-changing amount of money, but more money than should probably be wagered on Mario Kart. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be interested in how much that is. <laughs> I, I, uh, oh man, what, what was it? I mean, it was in the hundreds for sure, right? Um, yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's a correct statement, though. That's probably too much for Mario Kart. <laughs> yeah, no, it was objectively not a good idea, but you know, it's. I want to know. So, how did it go? Uh, I won in that particular case. And I mean, you right. know, I, I like, you know, took everybody out to eat and whatever. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't like, it was like, haha, you're all poor now. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, there was no actual bad blood, but it's, yeah, I would actually do that relatively frequently with friends where we would like play games and it was, you know, it was like, we'd win money, but then whoever won would, you know, buy drinks for people or whatever. Like, it was, you know, it's, we're not, uh, we're not quite Gordon Gecko at the end of the day, but it's the idea that stakes can make it more interesting is appealing to some people, I guess, you know? And I wonder if that's maybe inherent in, in what makes the theming exciting is like when you tell people it's life and death, you know, this is the same thing with any of those screw your neighbor games or exploding kittens or whatever. Just like you, you pretend death's on the line and it allows, you know, you match wits with a Sicilian when death's on the line. It allows your brain to, to hype you up a little bit more, you know, so for some people that's money for some people, it's just a trick you can play narratively or something, you know? Yeah, that actually feeds into one of the main differences when Brenda and I demo. It, if everyone loses, Brenda tells everyone that they they're all that dead, like they've died. <laughs> and she, no, and she and she looks you dead in the eye and smiles when she says it. I can vouch yeah. for this. Yeah. If everyone loses at my table, I say we're all winners. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the real difference. We're all winners, or we're all dead. I, I emphasize death so much that sometimes when like the kids come by, I get a little nervous. So I bring it back a little bit. But I swear those siblings, it was like I would strongly suspect the kids love all the death talk. Actually, like there's a reason that stuff's in the grim fairy tales, you know, in the first place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean the, the it's kid friendly macabre is always is always a winner in my book because because ki- kids are. You know, I mean, they're they're figuring that stuff out, right? Like, there there is morbidity in the world, and to be able to kind of like literally play with it in a in a in a safe way is is always going to be appealing, right? There's a contract you sign when you're making all ages macabre, though. Like, we're we're like you said, you don't. There's a certain line you don't want to cross because you know this. We're not attempting to make a statement about man's inhumanity to man. We're attempting to make a fun card game, so like it wouldn't be appropriate to go to certain places. But the idea yeah. of messing with those slightly darker themes is definitely appealing, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you've mentioned a couple of influences, and uh, none of them so far have been tabletop games. Interestingly, um, <laughs> and that's I don't I don't think that's you throwing shade. I just I find it interesting. Um, I'm not too familiar with your previous work. Is it all tabletop stuff? Uh, have you worked in, in sort of other formats? Um, no, everything's pretty much been tabletop at this point. Um, yeah, honestly, I, I mean, I do get a lot of enjoyment out of playing tabletop games and, and seeing mechanics, but I, I find personally that, um, that video games give me a lot of uh, interesting ideas for mechanics. Like, it's taking the feeling of, something you're playing and trying to to recreate that feeling you know in a, a more intimate card setting or dice or whatever what have you were there is there a particular like game or genre or something that that inspired this or was it more just the the narrative you know the film and, and book stuff you were talking about earlier uh this was more of the film and book stuff than a lot a lot of trial and error i'd say <laughs> fair enough <laughs> fair enough there yeah yeah I mean, I, I have not had the chance so far on this podcast to talk to all that many tabletop designers. So first of all, thank you. Uh, yeah. And second of all, I'm just curious about what you feel like the differences are. You know, I mean, besides the obvious stuff, like, you know, computers can do more calculations faster. And with tabletop, you can look people in the eye. Like, like what is it that attracts you to the space? Because like there's, you know, there are some technical hurdles that don't exist in tabletop, but there's also some logistical slash technical hurdles that, that are unique to tabletop as far as like having physical media to have to make and prototype and distribute and all that stuff. So like what draws you in this direction? Um, well, I'd say uh, it's, I guess it's kind of like tactile. Like to me, like the difference between like do, doing video games you have the computer that can do all the computations and you don't have that in board games. So obviously you stay away from like, <laughs> whenever I'm designing something, if it has numbers, it will have the numbers one through nine. I try not to design anything that goes over 10 as a number because mm. then it's just impossible to keep track of it. But like, it's that, um, I think it's like the tactile feel. Like when you put a card on the table, um, when I design a lot of things, I put it so that 
how you put the card on the table, like like the flipping over from Wicked Apples, but like stacking cards, stacking them at different angles, like when you get to draw or where you draw from, if you can show people how you show people cards. Like those are things that video games don't do as well. It's it's the physical space that you're in. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, it kind of uh kind of trying to like uh capitalize on those things when you're building games is is the part that I look for. Yeah, like I would guess your tables are very, very different than, you know, if you had two monitors for a digital game or something and you were both, you know, explaining how to play, like the chemistry that occurs around a table, partly because it's a physical object and you're holding it in your hands and you have like, like you say, there's personal expression in the way you turn cards and, you know, you can tell, you can tell someone with obsessive compulsive tendencies immediately when they're playing a card game by the way that they handle the cards that they have and and things like that. Like there's all these personality quirks of both the game and the player that come out instantaneously that are just not not that they're untranslatable to digital games but they're they're not native to digital games in the same way they are to tabletop yeah yeah definitely uh actually like a a game that we're uh, working on right now that we're going to be showing in a few weeks um it's a uh, a game where you lay tiles um on the table to form like a a line where you're trying to like keep the line going and not break it up um but one of the main mechanics of the game is these tiles are all placed in a bag and you have to reach into the bag and pull out the tiles that you're going to use each turn. So you're you're kind of like drawing from a deck, but you have agency of you're actually like picking the tiles and knowing that there are bad tiles in there, even though like you can't see what it is. You don't have any real like agency of what you're picking, but you feel like you do. And I feel like that's the difference between tabletop and, and digital. Like in digital, you could click the button to say, yes, I'm drawing a new tile. And then you see what it is and the computer is randomly giving you one. And it's the same thing with tabletop, except you feel like you have the power, even though you don't. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, so, all right. I, all right, wow, man, I, I have, there are two directions I want to go to from here. One, can you tell at all what tile you're getting? Are they textured in some way? Like, is there a way to tell tactily which one you have, or is it a basically blind choice? It is a blind choice. Okay. Interesting. But yeah, that, I mean, I, like, I suppose in a digital game, you have to come up with a narrative reason to feel like it's your own fault or like it's not random. You have to, you know, like the, you know, GLaDOS is, is, is fucking with you and that's why you got a bad draw or something like that, you know, with, yeah. I think, I think you're right that people who play tabletop games naturally feel responsibility. And I mean, I, that's why people like actual deck building games, right? Is they, they feel like that even though there is an element of randomness to it, what's in the pool is under their control. So they are more responsible. It's that, that rich stew of, uh, of you know being in control and not being in control that is kind of yeah unique it's it's chance but you're you feel like you have influence over that chance yeah well like you say though that's that's largely an illusion right like if you if there really is no way to tell what you're drawing there is no but but at the end of the game when you're reaching in the bag and there's like five tiles left and if one of them is a bad one you know that you lose like watching people and watching everyone because it's a co-op game watching everyone like as you go to pick that tile out, like everyone's like really like engaged and, and they want to make you, you pick like a few different tiles before you finally pick the one that you want. Like you said, like it's, it's almost like uh, OCD. Like should I kept that first one I grabbed or should I take the second one, even though it doesn't make a difference because you don't know what it is, but right. yeah. Did, did I rush you? Because I was like, <laughs> stop feeling all the tiles in the bag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Your brain wants your deliberation to matter. Yeah, but it's but part of the thrill is that it, it doesn't or at least it doesn't as much as as you want it to. Yeah, that is that is neat. And there, you know, there's something similar in a deck of cards and, and all that stuff. Yeah, the, the tile thing you're de- you're describing reminds me a lot of like the end of a game of Bananagrams or something, just like something as simple as that, where, you know, there's a you know, there's a there's a, a, a really rough letter to use in the 11th hour uh, under one of them. But but in Bananagrams, it's possible to sort of keep track of where the bad letters are if people have been returning them. So this is like a level beyond that where you really don't know. I mean, you know, maybe you would, you tell me, I guess, but like you would know which tiles are still possible based on what's already out there. But of those five, you have no idea, which is the one that will ruin your day. Yeah. Yeah. Like as you play the game more, you generally know what's still left in the bag and what you want and how many chances you have of actually like surviving that draw type of thing. But That's neat. And I like what you said too about the the use of actual physical space too in tabletop games. I think mm. there's some some really fun games that we've played, um, in, including our own, obviously, 
Um, <laughs> that just that, that they can, <laughs> I am the maven. Thank you. Um, well maven. Well maven. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that really just take advantage of that, that you are in a physical space and that you're occupying a physical space and you can do things. Like I even think, you know, the placement of the tile mechanic in the upcoming game is really interesting because you're essentially building this world as you put the tiles down and you have some choices as players that you can do as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's something interesting about being able to make sure that every item and everything you're using in the physical space makes it feel like you as the player have a heightened experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's neat. I love that. I, I, what I'm in mind of, as you described that, is that game Hive, where you're, you've got the hexagonal tiles and you're kind of building more or less a beehive and it's about like encircling yeah. your players' pieces. You see people who are really good at that and like the shapes they produce are kind of just beautiful and weird. And that's that's, you know, again, something you can't really do within the bounds of a screen because a screen is, is bounded, right? Like a table is too, but you can spill off of it in weird ways. And like it, it adapt, it has to adapt itself sometimes to whatever surface you have to play on. And yeah, that I, I totally agree that that's something that's neat about, you know, tabletop games out in the wild. Mm. Yeah. And lately I feel like I've, I've seen some games where there's like, um, you're using dice to kind of like build towers and it's very 3d and it's almost like it's Jenga, but it's not, you don't have to worry about like knocking it over, but you're, you're building this thing in 3D space. And I've also seen a lot of games like where they're bringing them to the computer. And it's that same thing of like, you know, it, it could be that same type of game and it is that same type of game, but it's just not the same as, you know, placing the die using a mouse cursor. Right. Yeah, there are a lot of those games lately that are trying to do like hybrid experience. Like there's that, um, what is it? It's, it's speaking of Jenga, but not. It's, uh, I'll, I'll look it up and put it in the show notes, but it's, you've got these kind of weird, uh, simple animal creature things that you have to stack up. And as you do so, like there's a digital component where you're like making weird hybrid animals or something. Uh, so it's like, you know, you have to manage both the abominations you're creating in the digital space and just like the balance of the stack in the physical space. Um, and it's like, they have to deal with all of the, the balance of digital games and whatever, but also just like adhesion, like how slippery should they be? And like, you know, we're at, we're at a weird moment where I feel like these two worlds are maybe more aware of each other than they have been recently. I, I, I don't know. I get I get the sense yeah. that as more... I, you're definitely right. They are, they are like crossing over a lot more these days. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes in just obvious ways, like you see a lot of, you know, uh, tabletop classics getting digitized, right? Um, but but also just I feel like the design sensibilities cross over more and more. And like you say, there's there's ways that that... Uh, will automatically work well in ways that, you know, like as soon as you start getting too mathy uh, with your tabletop game, then you're into like the versions of D&D people decide that they don't like, you know, or most people anyway. You know. Yep. Yeah. I think like I'm, I'm definitely in favor of seeing games that, that meld the digital and the tabletop together. Like if they're doing something that can't be done with both, like it, there's a reason for it. Um, I'm not as much of a fan of seeing like, the, the classics come over to digital because I I mean not not that there's anything wrong with being able to play them on the go or in an easier format but also it's not I feel like they're not taking advantage of it so why don't be such a Luddite <laughs> I agree that something gets lost but I find it really hard to explain what that is I mean besides the yeah. tactility that we're talking about like I actually feel like you know I, I'm trying to think what I've played like you know I, the, when I played Settlers of Catan on, a, on an Xbox 360 right like it just it it there was something off about it that I couldn't put my finger on I don't know if some of it is just like they maybe even overdo it like there's like a there's like swaying grass in the background where with a tabletop game like that stuff is happening in your head and that's maybe more effective you know or yeah, if it's no, yeah. it's simply that those games need the tactility yeah yeah no I think I think if you realize that you're playing for different intent. I think there's nothing wrong with having somebody port a tabletop into a digital experience. Like, yeah. okay, this is this is total casual gamer here, ready, thrown down. But Scrabble, I love Scrabble. I love the feel of Scrabble tiles. I have like good Scrabble games. I have crappy Scrabble games. We have like wood tiles and like old school, click your tiles in. Uh, but I also play online Scrabble games like World, you know, Scrabulous back in the day and Words with Friends now. And, you know, and I play them for two different reasons, knowing the experience is different. Um, but part of it's because I really just like making words. 
but I, I get two different experiences from it and they're both satisfying in different ways. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. I too, I have my grandfather's Scrabble set, so I, I totally hear you. Um, and I've played words with friends a lot, but you're right. You think about it differently. It's very different to see that whole physical board laid out in front of you versus like words with friends. It's like zooming in in Excel or something, right? Like you're seeing these like little micro areas of the board, which is just like a necessity of phone screens being small, but does make you think about the game a little differently. And I think that's fine. So I'm not as a, much of a Luddite <laughs> over here as some people, but I just think people need to to realize oh, there are, well. are different intents or different audiences yeah. or accessibility because accessibility is one of my big, well, big things. And and I'll also say like the, the big advantage, like whoever you're playing words with friends with, I assume that they're not somebody that you see on a daily basis. Like there's being able to play these games with people that can't always get to your house or live, you know, a state away or across the country is, is a huge advantage. Definitely. Yeah. One and words with friends is smart in that it takes advantage of sort of the asynchronous nature, right? Like something that it's really hard to recreate uh, digitally is that feeling of all being around the table and, and skullduggery and all that kind of stuff. Scrabble lends itself to that stuff, but also just lends itself to sort of slow contemplation and like, Oh, I, you know, I have these three games going at once that kind of chess by mail aspect that it really gets right that's like uh -huh. a, you know that's a good example i think of adapting a classic tabletop game in a way that takes advantage of what you know phones can do as opposed to i think what what <laughs> the word luddite was thrown around but what i think you were talking about was more just like when you take a game you know this is technically that game and it's in digital form please more people buy it because only so many people you know are going to buy the physical edition but you know but steam and switch are, are big towns you know mm-hmm yeah, put some thought into what makes the digital experience potentially interesting or different or, or like or like value added would be the, the I'm, 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 yeah. you know, I'm not a maven, but anyway. <laughs> but that, that was good. I appreciate that. Yeah, that no problem. Good, you could maybe be like a mini maven. Okay, that's I, I accept that. I accept that mini aspiring or potential mini maven. I'll put it on the, the LinkedIn. Like a, maybe I don't, I don't know. <laughs> could be like maven intern. Yeah, I'm into it. Maven Minion? I don't know. Anyway, um, not like the little yellow banana people. Just Anyway, so um, so you said digital games. What is your poison? Uh, but both of you, actually. what Do you have? Do you both have, uh, other than Words with Friends, Brenda, like, what do you play? Oh. Um, yeah, you go first, well, I think. Um, so let's see. I, I tend to play a lot of, like, um, I wouldn't say old school, but, like, more... Um, like side scrolling, like uh, 2D Metroidvania type stuff, um, and God, I just started playing Near Automata. Oh my like, God! What's wrong ago. with you? Well, that's what? how do you do that? We have conventions coming up. <laughs> I'm sorry, my <laughs> girlfriend booted it up. I had to play. I, my wife and I played through that game together, and my my God, it was that was a really fine game. I didn't know what to expect because I had not played any of Yoko Taro's stuff before, but I've played most of it now because I really really liked Near Automata. Yeah. It, and and for that stuff, like geekery stuff, like just the menus and like <laughs> just the layout of everything, the maps, the way they look, and like yeah, 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 the feel of everything. Down. Well, because the menus are all you, right? Like you're you're you are an Android, and the menus are are part of your OS. So it's like got yeah. this really really cohesive feel. It's just the sound effects, like the way menus sound in that game. It just it feels extremely correct. Yeah. No, just everything about it is just beautiful. Um, so yeah, that and then like I said, like a lot of um more throwback games, a lot of like old school Metrovanias, uh the Dead Cells, Hollow Knight. Um I was those were the two I was gonna I, I recently just played both of those. Hollow Knight blew me away. I the the animation in it, the the world design, just the I, I love that kind of light touch storytelling where there's a bunch of stuff that is there, like it's playing fair and letting you figure things out, but also leaving a lot unsaid. I'm, I'm a chump for that stuff. Yep, definitely. And, uh, and then I think the one I'm looking forward to most coming out soon is uh crosscode, which I don't think is that well known. They've been working on it for like seven years, but it's, uh, it's like a kind of like a NES or a super NES throwback RPG, but it's, it's like an action RPG. It's just, it's really good. I have not, that's been completely off my radar. I'll definitely check that out. That, yeah. Sounds up. That sounds up my alley. <laughs> All right, Brenda. <laughs> the, All right. the bell tolls for thee. All right, so here I am. Um, I like to kill things, is is what I like doing, but I'm not a first-person shooter type person. Um, the problem is, is that when it comes to console games, my husband and I share the same console, 
and he likes different games than I do. So, yeah. So the last the last game I played, um, no, that's not a lie. But the last big game that I played on on console was um, was Fallout Four. But mm. finally, freaking Battle Chef Brigade has finally been released on PS4. <laughs> I've only been waiting for it freaking ever. I'm so excited. Stop I'm, I'm too. It. I just got it on PC. I haven't booted it up yet. That game does look really good. I'm I. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I love that kind of overwrought anime aesthetic, and I love cooking games. There aren't that many of them. I've been playing a lot of Overcooked too since that came out, but I, oh, I feel yeah. like because cooking has all these like discrete actions and weird combinations of things, it's like underexplored in terms of what it can do in games. And then that plus the plus the melodrama, I'm about it. I'm about it. No, I am too. And they did so. Trinket Studios did a game that I really loved, which is Color Sheet, because I'm a problem solver. And God, I love that game. It was so simple but so beautiful. And then they stopped. It was just a, a simple um, mobile game where essentially they just give you different combinations to color a sheep. And it would just be, I don't know, kind of rapid fire. You'd have to press buttons to like make your sheep the right color and also memorize it. And I fell in love with Trinket Studio for that. And that was just years and years ago. And then they started working on this stupid game that I couldn't get until like August of this year. Like every other platform, like, come on, Trinket, stop it. <laughs> Um, but I also like tower defense games. <laughs> tower defense games. That's a, that's a genre that was like it was the only genre for a period of like eighteen months, and then it's become it's. Re- I mean, nothing ever dies, right? But it's receded into nichedom, right? Um, what's what's the what's the hotness in that genre right now? I haven't played a tower defense game in a minute. Yeah, I don't know that there's any hotness, so I'm working okay. through old ones. <laughs> fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I played a lot of pixel junk monsters back in the day. I played a lot of defense grid. Um, really good. Yeah, I'm a. I'm working my way through Gemcraft too right now, which is ah. just like old, simple. Like it's got pretty gems, whatever. I'm pro gem as a, as a general rule. Uh, and there, yeah. I mean, so then I'm trying. I'm just thinking back on like the history of tower defense games. This would be a, a good little good little write up sometime. But it's like there was also that period where everything was like tower defense and something, where like yeah. uh, like Double Fine made that thing. Uh, man, it was called Iron Brigade before that. It was called Trenched, I think. But that was like the name of a board game in the UK, so they had to change it. I don't remember the whole thing. But it was like mech combat plus tower defense like it was just like it became this whole blank and blank like you know put two things next to each other thing for a period of time i guess i guess battle royale is the thing that we just shove into everything at this moment but yeah hey there's nothing wrong with that no not a thing not a thing i mean you know it's the the trend chasing thing where like somebody is going to be the guy left holding the zombie mode uh you know after the trend is over but you know but that's that's probably an acceptable risk for most people who try it yeah yeah i was into the 3D tower defense for a while. Um, orcs, orcs something. Oh, uh, orcs must die, right? Orcs must die. Yeah, that one was fun. Yeah, and then the more the slower contemplative indie ones, like Immortal Defense, was super good. Um, I don't think you played that one. I have to check that out. There's another one. There's a first person um, shooter. I can't remember what it's called though. First person shooter tower defense thing. Oh, yeah. it was uh, Sanctum, right? And, yeah, Sanctum. Yeah, Sanctum that, was really good. Sanctum was very good. Yeah. No. <laughs> you didn't like Sanctum? <laughs> no. No. Oh, because you're person. not a, you're not an FPS person, so they like you weren't into the peanut butter being in your chocolate. I hear you. I hear you. No. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> Sorry. That's fair. I mean, no. I mean, like you identified yourself as like as like casual. I I don't know what that term even means at this point. I mean, because there's just. The, the peanut butter is so completely in the chocolate as far as all those different genres go. You know what I mean? That like, you know, Nintendo makes mobile games and, and stuff's connected to stuff. And there's a there's a Shin Megami Tensei gotcha game for phones. Like what even is casual versus not anymore? I don't even I don't, I don't even. No, it's crazy. Well, it's really funny because this past week was the Atari 2600. I'm going to date myself here. The Atari 2600. Um, anniversary. It's like 40th anniversary. So I wasn't out, no, 50th anniversary, 50th anniversary. Some kind of anniversary. Anyway, I can't remember now. <laughs> and they were showing all the, these commercials. It was great. It was like all these compilations of commercials of people playing games. And the Atari 2600 is the first gaming console I remember using. Um, and I loved it. And it's like this throwback to like all of these different games. And so for me, gaming is just supposed to be kind of lighthearted and fun, like those pixelated nightmares that I grew up playing, <laughs> uh, or more kind of choose your own adventure, what we would think of more as visual novels now. 
of like waiting 20 minutes after you freaking clicked a button for anything to happen. Or for you like, to have any agency. Cause it's not about the agency. It's about enjoy this story. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. I just remember like, would you like to stab, melee, run away, something else. You <laughs> click a button and you go pop some popcorn you come back and I was like, okay, one hit point down, 200 more to go. <laughs> so. I'll, I'll age myself too. Yeah, do it. <laughs> Jump right in. Uh, I think my earliest, uh, maybe not my earliest, but a lot of my early memories of video games are uh, playing my dad's old Intellivision. Mm. Like, yeah, do it. I remember there's a game called Triple Action that I just loved. <laughs> and okay. it, it was probably pretty horrible, but. That just sounds bad too. Who named that? <laughs> Who named that? Oh, the art on the boxes was great though. Oh. There's a there's yep. a really good um, episode of a podcast called Imaginary Worlds. Plug another podcast on the podcast. Hey, Synergy. Uh, that's about the the folks who drew those boxes, and just like how they had only the the very like the smallest possible amount of information about what the game was, and had to kind of <laughs> weave this vivid fantasy, yeah. right? Just <laughs> say it's like you know the old school fantasy book authors. Totally, like they, yeah. For the covers, like what yeah. is this book about? I don't know. It, it looks like they're all about Fabio, I think. <laughs> oh, my God. Too many. All right. So since we're sharing, come on. What's your earliest console? So I, I guess I'm 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 both dating myself as far as some people who listen and I'm, sl- I'm sl- like a generation of consoles after you. My earliest one was a, was a Nintendo entertainment system. I played that with with my dad when I was a little kid. Uh, I was terrified of The Legend of Zelda initially when it first came out and then, you know, grew to love it. But but also there were some legit scary games for the NES. There was like Shadowgate which was like, you know, exploring a, a creepy fantasy castle. There was Deja Vu, which was like a by the same people, and it was like a pretty like hard-boiled noir thing where I think that's where I got my love of games where you can lose horribly in, in a bunch of different ways. Like, you have to like not implicate yourself in the crime you're trying to solve in that game, and if you like forget to to throw your gun in the sewer where an alligator eats it or whatever, then you just, you, your, your efforts are all for naught, and you go to jail. End of game. Um... Yeah, so I mean, that was the generation of stuff that I got initially really into. And then, you know, like I have had all the Nintendo systems since then. And, and I've gone back and played some of that, you know, early Atari and Intellivision stuff. And I've always really liked arcades. Uh, my dad is a fierce Ms. Pac-Man player. So we used to have pretty serious matches of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like he played he played games, you know, about as long as there have been games. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've been playing them as, lo- as long as I've been around and, and had the fine motor skills to do it. Excellent. I like it. Good geek parenting right there. For sure. Yeah. The, my first when I was, you know, when I was like, you know, no longer terrified of it. My first Zelda playthrough was, you know, me just sitting on his lap while he played it and offering sage advice. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as long as I lived at home, you know, we played all the Zeldas together. Like by the time the Super Nintendo came out, it was like more more me than him controlling. And I believe, yeah, we played through the first Pokemon together on like the Super Game Boy, that thing you could like. Hook a game, put a Game Boy cartridge into your Super Nintendo and play it on the TV. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So a lot of my earliest gaming memories involved my dad for sure. That's really cool. And he was never a big tabletop guy, so which is probably why I wasn't until later in life. I mean, my mom loves Scrabble, but mainly just because she loves words, not because she loves games. You know, um, it's like it's a vehicle for her. Um, in the same way that like my grandfather, who Scrabble said I have, loved the New York Times crossword puzzle. You know, like did it his entire life. Uh, it was more about the words than like like the game mechanics were not a thing he thought about. He thought about the quality of the writing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I think also like earlier in life, I think I was more into video games just because it was easier to to be able to play them without worrying about getting people together or whatever. Like, yeah. I think I I was interested in tabletop before, but it was just if you don't have other people that are interested in it, it's a lot tougher to do. Yeah. No, and that's exactly what's like electric about the first time you meet other people who are interested in playing something over tables is the fact that you all have to like opt in, you know, like you yeah. found this like minded group of, of 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 geeks, whatever, that are in it with you. Like that's that's neat. That's why like that's why D&D and other other uh, like more role playing tabletop games are so emotionally intense for so many people. But I think it's part of the appeal of tabletop in general. And I think it's also partly why if you're just a young kid banging your head against whatever a digital game can be. I won't say friendly, but like uniquely inviting in a weird way, like inviting without being friendly, <laughs> like especially with those old games, you failed a lot, but you know, then you kept playing. Yep. And I, and I think that's probably what drew me into tabletop too, was um, 
I feel about the time I started getting back into it was when co-op, like more co-op type games started coming out. Mm, yeah. And, and those type of games are like, that's, that's really my bread and butter. Like I, I love playing Wicked Apples. I love like, <laughs> you know, the, the take that type of thing, but getting to like beat a system, beat a game with like a group of friends and like talking it over and strategizing together is, is really where my heart's at with it. I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm all things being equal. I'll always almost always prefer co-op. Like I I almost like uh, PvP for lack of a better term when it kind of shoots the moon and it's so screw you that it becomes like a game of 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 like collaborative psychological warfare storytelling. You know what I mean? Like those kinds of games are what I can really get into. I think it was somebody at Rock Paper Shotgun who said that you can always measure the um the uh, the quality of a tabletop game by how often you say you bastard uh, while playing it. Uh, which, by the way, your game passes that test with flying colors. But yeah, co-op is totally exciting to me. Um, do you have a favorite co-op tabletop game? Um, I'd probably say Castle Panic. Mm. Um, Pandemic's really good for me, too. But um, Castle Panic was kind of like one of the earliest ones that was a really good one for me and that I could get people to play pretty regularly. So, yeah, it was a good gateway. That was a bonus. Yeah, I've had some good times with Pandemic. I, uh, my friend Adam, who is on this podcast sometimes, introduced me to a game called Space Alert uh, that oh. is really pretty excellent. Um, as far as just everything going wrong, it's co-op, but it's like you're in this spaceship that has to just kind of chill until it can, you know, prepare the the jump to hyperspace, and you're you're a sitting duck class vessel. So you just have to like literally keep the lights on in this shitty little spaceship and like someone has to go jiggle the mouse on the ship computer every couple of turns or all the lights turn off and you know, or the screensaver comes on and systems malfunction and just like, I love that shit. I love working together to wrangle an unwieldy system, you know? And, and for a little bit of like uh, the peanut butter and chocolate, um, there is a game called Captain Sonar, I think it is, oh. which is kind of like, um, it's kind of like Battleship, except it's two teams against each other and each person has a station that they're assigned to and only they can do certain things. Uh, but you're all just yelling at each other, trying to like get things to happen as a team, even though you can't really see what the other people are doing. And you actually have a blind. You too. have a blind too. So you yeah. You can actually see the other. Yeah. What the other team's doing. That's neat. So, yeah. yeah. And it's fun game? to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's, what's that game? I, I want to say it's called Artemis or something, but it's like, you're, you're basically on the deck of the starship enterprise, but oh, the yeah. captain has no input. They just have a screen and they have to like give orders to everybody else. Oh gosh, who was it? I think uh I think shut up and sit down. Um Yes, 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 yes. Throw that that I can't remember who the captain was, but it was the perfect captain. The most perfect captain ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a that's a fine, fine program, that shut up and sit down. Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, and Quentin Smith is somebody who's definitely, like, all about bridging that gap between, like, what's interesting about digital versus tabletop and has written a ton about both and, and all that. Yeah, no, I, I actually love his articles. Going back and forth, like, because he's still, every once in a while, like, he, he's doing mainly tabletop now, but every once in a while I find, like, new articles about, like, uh, what was the last one I read? I think it was Duskers, where he just did, like, a really mm -hmm. live, like, why that's an amazing game. and And stuff like that, that's... I would love to try and take the feel of Duskers <laughs> and oh, make man. a Bob game. I don't know how to do that yet, but like it's it's in my mind, like real deep. Yeah, I mean, so so that's the other thing, right? We've talked a little bit about the about uh you know tabletop hits getting digitized, but the other thing that's happened of late is is the other direction. Uh, there's like there's a portal tabletop game that is co-designed by some of the Valve guys. There's a Bloodborne uh, card game. Uh, that I don't I don't think from software was involved at all, but it's like, you know, it's the trappings and it's official and all that stuff. I, I have not played too many of those. I don't know how well they translate or whether they're good in their own right, but people love them, man. I have people in my feed telling me I need to play that portal game. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> Brenda's making signs at me. What kind of what kind of signs? I'm trying I'm trying to think of a game. She's miming a box. Okay. <laughs> Big box. Oh Jesus. Okay, hold on. Let me All go right. to the internet. That's cool. That's cool. It's bother me. Internet break. And oh, you I... know what I'm thinking of. Like, if I could give you one more clue, uh, you would know. Apparently, I do. They, is it Mechs versus Minions? That's a big game. Yes. Big board game. Is it Mechs versus Minions? I have no idea. I can't remember now. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I'm not in your head. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I think it's Mechs versus Minions. Hold I don't on. know that game. I don't know Mechs versus Minions. Hold on. You'd be never amazed mind. what I don't know, though, so feel free to educate me. 
uh, it, that's the other thing. Like you think you think like playing board games, playing video games, designing board games, going to conventions all the time that like we'd have a good knowledge of what's out there and there's just so much coming out all the time that Oh, it's impossible. Yeah. There's no way to keep up. You just find things you love and hold on to them. Yeah. Well, I will say I'm actually just looking at my shelf right now and I I I would be remiss if we're talking about co-op games to not mention Consentacle, uh which I oh, Consentacle. <gasps> Which is, I mean, like you need you need the right crowd for that game, but it's it's so good, it's so good for anybody. A bazillion favor points with me. <laughs> I'm well, I accept them gladly. Um, well, hey, then do you, since you're since you're the guest and it's more interesting to hear you than me talk, do you want to describe Consentacle for the people? Um, it's a game of consent <laughs> that might involve tentacles. Consentacle. Um, no, so it's um, and correct me if I'm wrong. Because it's been. I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I just think I literally sure. mean. Yeah, yeah. No, correct me if I'm wrong. So it was a game that was. I feel like it was created as part of like a um, a board game jam mm -hmm. or a game jam, which is like a 24 hour, 48 hour kind of pitch session. And I think it came up quickly, and then people were asking to buy copies of the game, so they did a Kickstarter just to fund an initial run. And it's this game of consent. I believe it's between a human and an alien. And it's trying to navigate, you know, consensual activity. Yeah. Yeah. You're, well, you're trying to have a, a mutually fulfilling experience. <laughs> there you yeah. go. And it's kind of a goof on all on the many, many games that mostly but not exclusively come out of Japan that are about uh, markedly less consensual tentacle-based interactions. And it's about Ooh. like, well, what would a what would a healthy version of this uh, look like, right? It's like an attempt to kind of reclaim that space that like, oh yeah, well, these are all kind of kind of gross on a bunch of levels, but it's not it's not an idea without merit. How could we make this work kind of thing, you know? Right, because who hasn't thought about like consensual activity, fulfilling relationships with tentacles? Like really, come on. Everyone, nobody can see your hands raised. It's okay. This is a podcast. It's a hundred percent true that some people think about it more than others, but I've not met the person who's never <laughs> thought about it. So there's that. Yeah, you didn't know sure. this was going to take this kind of turn when we started, but I, you know, I should have. But you know, hey, here we are. This, this is fine. This will have. The, I already said fuck. This will already have the explicit mark. Whatever. People know what they're getting into. That's fine. <laughs> uh, too funny. Too funny. Well, anyway, so that we've gone through the uh, co-op consensical line. <laughs> what What else do you have for us? <laughs> Well, what was it? Mechs versus minions that you were trying to think of, or or you're not sure? Was see, I told you he would know because I just said big black. There was a mind meld. There you go. Okay. There you go. So the mind melds complete. What is this game? I'm not familiar with it. Um, I believe it was made by the League of Legends people. Ah, okay. And it's a it's a big box game. It has a ton of miniatures, mm -hmm. um, high quality miniatures, mm -hmm. and it's a, a programming game. Where basically you have your your heroes and you each time I believe you play a card and it it's like move right and attack or do a special attack and then as you build up you're able to increase your attack strength but each turn you're adding more commands to your line so eventually you're kind of doing things that you know you're doing a lot of things that you weren't expecting to do because you're you're turning right and moving forward and attacking every turn. And sometimes that's good. And sometimes that's not what you want to do. Right. And then also there's when people attack you, there's um, they can put like bad cards on you. that cause you to do things that you didn't want to do, like not attack or take damage or stuff like that. Almost put yeah. bugs in the code kind of thing. So we were talking from digital to tabletop. That's, oh, yeah, yeah. that's why here we are. We're back. Totally. No, that's interesting because I, I've had uh, Zach Barth on the show a, a couple of times who makes games about, you know, programming, coding, scripting, you know? No, and when you mentioned him, I almost threw out um, Space Cam when we were talking about games that we play. Oh, totally. Yeah, I love Space Cam. I he would say that it's that in retrospect it's garbage and his new stuff's better. Uh, <laughs> yeah, his new stuff's very good too. Goes uh, uh, Factory, I think, was the last one I played. Oh no, I take that back. I played whatever the um, the alchemy one was, but I can't remember. Oh, uh, Opus Magnum. Yeah, that one's Opus really good. The newest one, which is about hacking, uh, is really good. Yeah. It's like you know cyberpunky 90s you know alternate history 90s kind of thing but i bring it up because i was thinking of those as an example of of digital games that would be hard if not impossible to transfer to tabletop right because they are about you actually 
initiating code in some way, but but here's an example of doing precisely that in tabletop. So that's, you know, like I said, shows what I know. Yeah, there's a there's actually not that many like uh I'm programming in air quotes here, but programming games sure. in tabletop. Um it makes sense, right? It, yeah, but I think it's kind of an untapped thing. I mean it's not well there are certain like there are a few of them that are kind of light, like Robo Rally obviously yeah. comes up for people. And then Ricochet Robots, which is super hard, but I love it. I never win ever, even when I play against myself. Um, but there are some that have kind of like easy yeah. programming coding things. Um, yeah, hold on. I just had another idea and I can't remember what it was. I'm the worst today. <laughs> Bobby, keep talking. Yeah, Zach Barth is actually kind of, I'd say his games fit very, would fit very neatly into that programming kind of board game type of thing i mean setting up a bunch of commands and then seeing how it plays out yeah so I mean, maybe you, you'd almost want it to be like like mousetrap or something though where you can actually see it move when because like, like part of the joy of his games is like stringing together these commands and then and then seeing the weird you know rube goldbergy thing that you've created you know it it's a it's a tough thing to i think create as satisfying a loop without that output it sounds like in mechs versus minions the the output is your your mech is going to do these things and that may help you or hurt you, right? So like that's how you see it play out. I feel like translating space chem in a similar way would be a challenge. <laughs> no, it'd definitely be a huge challenge. Yeah, I think not being able to have the computer check to see if you're playing the game right. Yeah. Like to, to balance you out type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I mean, his one game that's like off his, his usual sort of genre train is Ironclad Tactics, which is kind of a, a quasi-card-based you know, digital game. So it's, you know, every, who knows? It's, it's, it's all a big soup. <laughs> We've gone from PB and J to soup now. That's, <laughs> this is great. A fine combination, a fine, fine combination. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I couldn't find too many interviews with you two when I was trying to prepare for this and not ask stupid questions. Is there stuff that you want to talk about that I've been steering you directly away from? Um, not really, actually, because... Because we got to, you know, plug Wicked Apples, and we got to talk a bit about the new game coming out. Um, yeah, which yeah. You, you're not ready to say the name of or uh, or share dates for or anything. Um, well, so we want to get it out this year, uh, but also uh, the reason I haven't said the name it's it's on our website. It's called Space Chase, uh, is the name of the game. Um, but also I'm debating about whether that is the best name for the game or just a really generic name for the game. I had, I had been to your website, but I didn't want to assume you wanted it said since you hadn't said it. What were you, what were you saying, Brenna? He's just staring at me like I might have a dagger in my pocket. <laughs> I might just stab him with. Okay. Sorry. So, I don't. Right. So the dynamic around the game here is that is that you, Brenda, think Space Chase is a good name and you, Bobby, think maybe not. Is that is am I reading the situation correct, correctly? No, 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 no. I don't think it's a good name, but we're just we're, <laughs> <laughs> you more feel like it doesn't matter whether it's a good name or not <laughs> yeah I don't, at this point i'm not really you know i think she's she's not worried about the name of the game she's worried about getting, getting the game, game out. out yeah <laughs> that's fair uh, that's funny um but yeah so yeah so space is hopefully by the end of this year mm -hmm. and by hopefully by the end of this year my fingers are and toes are crossed for packs unplugged because um, that is the end of the year, really. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, that takes us right into the beginning of December. So hopefully, hopefully, if I say it aloud on on your podcast, it will come true. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how that works. Yeah, it's like a verbal command to the powers that be. I think so. And I'd like to win the lottery. Also, we'll just put that in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah. Most people say world peace, but hey, cool lottery. That's fine. We'll take it. Okay, that's fine. How about universal healthcare while we're at it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my God, I feel like uh, I feel like lotteries might be more likely at, at the moment, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I guess true. that's true. All right. Well, there goes that. This always uh, goes. All these conversations, the last like, oh, I don't know. Let's just say, you know, two years have gone so well until it gets, you know, politics, and then and then things just, man. Yeah. No, we'll we'll stay away from it. I just no. I mean, I don't, I I so if anything. I was just going to say my instinct is to not stay away from it, right? Because like when people say, oh, I don't want to get political, that generally means I think a terrible thing that I don't want you to judge me for. So it's like, I want to talk about it, but it's like, I, I don't want this to become a bummer of a podcast, especially since I don't have solutions other than uh, other than creating really vibrant uh, artistic spaces for games, books, whatever, where white nationalists don't feel welcome. 
I feel like that's really important, you know? <laughs> well, you know, and the nice thing about Wicked Apples is that you could, you know, theme it where you're each a terrible, horrible human being. And <laughs> really lean into that villain's playing cards thing. Yeah, I see. I mean, I am a terrible, horrible human being, so it's obviously, fine. Obviously you are. So yeah, so instead of like Disney villains or Grimm's fairy tales villains, just like pick real world people, assume that personality, like, <laughs> you know, stick it on your forehead in painter's tape and then try to take each other out. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole new motivation to it then. Yeah, totally. Here we go. It's a new variation. Here we yeah, go. I like it. That's Those are some house rules right there. That's good. That's good. <laughs> oh, too funny. Do you want to say where can people where can people get wicked apples i got it you know from brenda at a show but that's not going to be how everybody gets it <laughs> i mean it can be <laughs> um you can go to our website which is uh w's uh, uh and you can also find us on twitter at almost and apparently instagram now at almost a game and then we'll be at a couple of conventions. So we'll be at Boston Big again this year, the Boston Festival Independent Games, and then PAX Unplugged, and that will carry us out of the 2018 convention season. Yeah. Nice. Excellent. Well, thank you both for taking the time. I've had a really good time. I hope you did too. Yeah, definitely. No, worst time ever. Okay. <laughs> Finally, somebody's honest, man. <laughs> yeah this is great this is great and if you yeah, have you ever if you when the new game is is ready to plug if you want to come back you're you're very welcome yeah no that'd be great awesome. cool. Cool. thank I, you for having me. well then yeah i guess the only other thing i need from you is, is like a happy halloween kind of thing. oh yeah. <laughs> oh perfection I love how we both just looked at each other. We're like, <laughs> <laughs> Happy Halloween. Uh, what, is, what is that, Mario? What is Dracula. That? <laughs> no. It's me, Halloween Mario. Yeah, that was great. That was great. Yeah, Mario's Dracula. It's never occurred to me that they sound exactly the same, but yes, they do. <laughs> we learned something new today. Uh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, stay in touch, Drew. Thank you. For sure. All right. Have Bye. a good night. Bye. And that's the show. You can find Wicked Apples, Space Chase, and more at almostagame.com or at PAX Unplugged this year, which is happening in Philadelphia from November 30th to December 2nd. You can find this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Podbay, or at the bottom of any especially suspicious barrel of apples. ETAO.blog. Happy Halloween. Well, my knees started knocking and I almost froze. I started in to tremble from my head to toes. Remembered all the times when I used to boast. What I do if I ever met a real live ghost.